the global co-working and conference community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Juicy Podcast. I have Arian Lewis, the CEO and founder of Kelm with me this morning. How are you? And I, I just real quick preface, I'm sure you've listened to my podcast. Don't want to hear about your business. I want to hear about how you are as a human. I'm great. I had a, uh, had a birthday yesterday. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you very much. And it was a, a really good day. So, oh, I love that. Uh, my kids are doing well. I have four kiddos, and wow, my senior, well, my oldest one, he's 16. He just got elected to a student body position, which he was really excited about. And so, yeah. So things are things are things are great on the home front and great on the work front. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm glad you had an awesome birthday. So, you know, a lot of people when I talk to them about Kiln, which I want to hear about the origin of the name and how to exactly pronounce it, because I'm not sure I do it right. And I also have a bit of a cold right now. I think so, you did it right. It's Kiln, like the kind of Kiln you'd put your pottery into or you'd put a brick into a kiln and okay uh, so why why kiln you know i built a prior co-working brand called rise and when we were contemplating the right name for rise uh, i came across the name kiln and i just thought it's not right for what we're doing with this brand but i really felt sort of like attached to the name and and uh, i sort of whittled on it in my head for years and Mm -hmm. I really do think it was meant to be the name for our company. The simple idea is that when you place something into a kiln, the natural properties of that thing become stronger and more beautiful. Mm. And um, that's the simple idea. But we don't play to that very strongly, if you notice in our branding. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the focus. I think it's more of a subtle, a subtle play. I like it because the name is simple. It has an imagery that can come with it. I was able to get the dot com, which was a big deal. That's uh, huge. Yeah. Just, just got it last year. So we started the company originally as kilnspace.com and then we became kiln.co. And mm-hmm. then last year we became kiln.com. So that always plays a, a sort of a role in when you're trying to pick the name of a company, whether or not you can be able to properly trademark it. And kiln is now trademarked in the United States as well as several other parts of the world. And we love that we love the name, but we love even more like what, what happens behind the name. Yeah, well, I love the name. It looks good. It's simple. Your social media is really, really pretty. And I feel like if there's a third brand, it should be bread. Bread? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. It's nice. It's nice. Rise and who doesn't bread have good feelings kiln. towards bread? The, the, the bread rises in kiln. Okay. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And then how did you how did you get the idea to start a co-working brand? Or the second and like I didn't know about the Rise journey. So I'd love to hear more about what sure. went on with Rise and how that led to Kiln. Sure. So I so I'm gonna try to keep this brief, Liz. Mm-hmm. But I started my career working with a brand called Dell Web, which built these enormous active adult communities where you'd buy a community and you'd get a house with it. And these were places that uh, were, you know, best in class for what they did. I was in Las Vegas for several years, for part of that time. And we built a community that was 7,500 homes, had two golf courses and a beautiful big rec center. And and so mm-hmm. truly, you'd buy the community and you'd get a house with it. And um, that was a 
like a thing that really stuck with me. I later went on, I did a tech startup. I went to MBA school. And while I was in graduate school, which was on the other side of the pond, it was in England, I had a professor that was hired by CBRE to do a research project on how you revitalize the high streets. Um, Hmm. Of course, are the main streets in the UK. And they were struggling because of e-commerce was taking retailers out of the high streets. And so I worked with um, this gentleman named, this professor named Andrew Baum, and another gentleman named Ben Munn, who some may know, which is JLL. And the project basically concluded that the best, you know, one of the best options for these old retail shops that had gone out of business was to turn them into shops where you work, workshops. And this was back in 2011. And at that time, I first became acquainted with co-working. I met with several of the early founders of co-working companies. And I found it fascinating that instead of it being a community where you get a house included, it was a community where you get a desk included. And so I latched on to the idea. I, I then was thick in the process of building a company called Tech Capital. And we listed Tech Capital on the London AIM market, which is a sub-market of the London Stock Exchange. And it was still a startup at that time. But, you know, shortly thereafter, I went to work for Barclays. And that's a bit of a longer story. But um, I had attended a breakfast where the group CEO of Barclays was present, as well as the design and digital officer for the company. And they were trying to solve this issue of how you get startups to help create new products and services with Barclays. And so I was hired to help solve that problem. And the solution that I proposed was that we build a co-working space focused on financial technology Mm. and that we do this um, in London. Now, budget was hard to procure and I was new to the bank and I I had a group of colleagues that actually wrote a protest letter that they thought that building this co-working space was a bunch of, you know, fluff and an idiotic idea. Mm -hmm. And, um, Yet we kind of powered through that and we we built this space in Whitechapel, London, which is a very not fancy part of London. It's um it's a Bangladeshi Muslim, you know, mm-hmm. neighborhood. It, we were right, the building is attached to a mosque. When you come out of the tube station, you're in an actual open market with like fish on the ground, and you know, you could buy a washing machine, you could buy clothes, mm-hmm. you could buy anything you want. It was very different than Canary Wharf in London, where I was working, you know, on the upper floors of the Barclays. Yeah. Park. And but I we only had seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds, okay, which is like a million dollars, right? And so we built this space out of an old department store, a shop where you work, and we built it for thirty five pounds a square foot. It had no air conditioning, oh no heating, really, not <laughs> to speak of. It had a staircase that was later condemned. We built it mostly out of plywood. We couldn't afford uh, air conditioning ducting. So we left the tops of all of the meeting rooms were open. So you uh-huh. could hear exactly what was going on in the meeting room next door because there uh-huh. was no, uh-huh. no insulation, nothing, right? Yeah. But we did this thing called Crypto Mondays where we bought beer for um, anybody who wanted to come and talk about crypto. And we ended up being hosting one of the first public meetups for Ethereum. And having mm-hmm. some of the earliest stage fintech companies, uh, like maybe some have heard of Chainalysis, but there was Everledger and many others. Um, some of the early source contributors to Bitcoin were there. And uh, it became a really big deal. And we launched a Barclays Accelerator with Techstars. And um, we called this first co-working space The Escalator. 
And it was built in collaboration with a brand over there called Central Working and a brilliant entrepreneur named um, James Layfield, who had started that company. So that was our first iteration. And then we did it in Manchester, England as well. And I know I'm kind of taking a long time, so I'll try to shorten this up. No, this is fascinating. I'm really enjoying this. Please go on. So so that was in 2013, right? Ben Munn, I think at this stage, was working for IWG, I believe. You know, we had met with Mark Dixon a couple of times for sort of dinner and pontificating on the future work. (laughs) um, You know, I was sort of starting to get into the world of work, but I was really an open innovation specialist. And I had worked closely with a gentleman named Clayton Christensen and with pretty top tier research and sort of the people that were at the forefront of this industry of sort of innovation and specifically open innovation, which is the practice of building products and services with people or parties that are outside of your organization. Uh And so we were, we were trying to build a pipeline of startups building products to serve the 50 million customers that Barclays had. And uh, while we were in this process, we brought the group executive committee of Barclays in and the group COO who we reported into. And he walked in and after a while, he kind of pulled everybody together and he said, we're going to do this all over the world. This is going to become a staple for our company. And so then my world sort of changed. And we, uh, we at the time, were called the escalator, okay, which caused a great deal of confusion because yeah. people would say, are you an incubator? Are you an accelerator? So no, an incubator is where you start a company. Accelerator is where you like take that company and grow it to uh, you know your first set of customers. An escalator is like the thing that powers them both up. And at any rate, it was a horrible brand, and um, <laughs> we got it totally wrong. But if you think about the concept of rise and the concept of escalator, they kind of do this. The, the concept mm-hmm. is similar. So that's what we came to, and we actually trademarked rise. Rise was officially trademarked in the U.S. and UK. So even when WeWork came out with their Rise kind of fitness brand, uh, that was actually not uh, kosher. But at any rate, there was like, it was a pretty cool brand and it still exists today. And we built locations then in London, uh, New York, uh, Tel Aviv, um, Cape Town, South Africa, Mumbai, um, Vilnius, Lithuania, Manchester. Wow. And we had plans for many more. So I spent the next three and a half years, like on a plane a lot. And my family was living in London that we lived there for about four years total. And then we moved to uh, Connecticut slash New York city. So I worked in Manhattan, but my family lived in Connecticut. um, So I commuted in and out of the city every day. And I was sort of really immersed in this world of co-working. I toured co-working spaces all over the world um, Mm -hmm. and worked with some of the best in the industry, like Dan Zakai of Mindspace, we did a collaboration in Tel Aviv where Rise took the top floor of a building on Rothschild Boulevard, and then Mindspace took the took the lower floors, and it was a great collaboration. I think actually Mindspace's headquarters is now located in that floor. And and very importantly, um, I met along the path along that way. Actually, at the very beginning, when we did this escalator on Mile End Road in Whitechapel, London, I met a guy named Late Lee Radford, who was an independent designer. And he became, he is now my co-founder and partner in the business. And mm-hmm. he's really the, the brilliant creative behind Kiln. Um, but we had the chance to work together for many years um, and travel all across the world, actually, and see how co-working could evolve in markets where it had never existed before. And this mm-hmm. is a really important part of the Kiln story, because we are going to markets oftentimes where co-working does not exist at all. 
um, mm-hmm. in our in our sense. So you know, we got to see co-working launch in in South Africa, um, in downtown Lower Perel, Mumbai, um, mm. and in Vilnius, Lithuania, where we actually worked directly with the president of the country, Dala Grivoskaite, and her um, cabinet on initiatives around fintech. And anyone who knows the world of fintech knows that Vilnius is now the fourth capital of fintech in Europe. Yeah, um, But we were there at the ground floor, and and all of these co-working spaces were designed around financial technology. So that makes it a bit unique. And I want to I want to mention that all of them are still operating as co-working spaces. None awesome. of them went under during the pandemic. Barclays has sold some off, but 100% of them are still co-working because Barclays exited the European Union and then also exited the uh, exited Africa. Mm-hmm. But they have since doubled the size of our location in New York. They've built a new one in Pune, India. And um, so the Rise brand continues on to this day. It is still the number one place for fintech companies, particularly in London and New York. Um, more than 50% of all fintech events in those two cities happen at Rise. Um, so, you know, still a successful thing that Barclays runs to this day. Fascinating. And that explains, I think, a lot of why you hit the ground running, right? Like you kind of came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, we're like, who is this? What are all these spaces? And I've been to a couple of your spaces in Utah, and they're gorgeous, so thoughtful, so well designed. And I I just absolutely love them. And I know Kat Johnson works out of one in Park City, and she just she can't say enough good things about it, which is pretty much fantastic advertising. But okay, but this did lead me to one question I have to ask now, which is, you can't say kiln. But out of all of the spaces you've been to in the world, what's your favorite one from a design perspective? Central Working did a very cool location outside of Paddington in a in a lobby, which mm-hmm. was very, very cool. They 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 were a really thoughtful brand, and I and I really admired them a lot. You know, Neuhaus when they came out in in Midtown mm-hmm. was just I mean it was it was pretty groundbreaking. They, I I think. You know, when you spend that much money, you can do a lot of cool things for sure. Mm-hmm. That they're they're real clear focus on their community, their branding. It, it was very very chic and bougie and well executed, <laughs> and you know, really nice. I've I've been to co working spaces in Japan, in India, um, three space in India. You know, they really they're a really passionate group of co workers out in India. I've been to co-working spaces all throughout Europe, from you know little places in Europe to to the big cities of Berlin, etc. Yeah. There are some pretty cool ones in Paris. You know, there's one right now. There's two. There's two brands I really admire right now. <clears throat> one is Coquit Lift House, which is in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Never seen it. Never been to it in person, but beautiful, beautiful brand. And then the Commons yeah, I'm a big out- fan of. Have you seen Ministry of New? Never been. It's gorgeous. Yes, I have seen that. Yes. Yeah, it is very nice. The ministry, you're referring to the ministry in London. Is that correct? The no, ministry? there's a ministry of new in India, and then there's oh. a ministry in London, which is also beautiful. You and I went together. Yeah, the ministry in London, really cool. You know, nightclub meets co-working, really well executed, beautiful brand. Uh, I love their April Fool's joke on their brand. It's super funny. And they did, um, you know, that that's really cool. I think that the commons out of, Australia right now. I've never met the founders, but uh, I know the brand and think that mm-hmm. they're doing a great job. Uh, really, yeah. really nice. So, 
you know, there's there's so many creative players and there's so much space for all of them. You know, this is such a totally. big pie that, you know, the, the exciting thing is we're all at the very beginning of this whole thing. You know, I really, I really just applaud anybody who can do it well. And of course, anybody who's trying as well. But, you know, once you get into the detail of it, you realize how difficult it is. It's not an unsophisticated business because there's so many moving parts that have to be balanced and they have to be done right. And if you can, and and the moments when you get it right are very rewarding. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, 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 this podcast is sponsored by Nexodus, the leading white label platform to manage and scale up your workspace. With over 10 years experience in the industry and market leading AI powered features, Nexodus is breaking new ground to make it easier than ever to optimize and automate the running of your workspace. Find out more about how Nexodus can transform the way you run your workspace at nexodus.com. That's N-E-X com and in our podcast description. And you know, it's it's funny, this is way further down in my questions, but it leads me straight into one of the things that I'm I've always struggled to find operators who do community at scale and who can grow and keep the basics. And I feel like you're one of those. And I'm curious, like how you think you've been able to do that. And and just so also our audience knows, if you can talk just a little bit about the size of Kilm and where you guys have recently moved to, because you guys are really growing. Thank you. Thanks. So Kilm's five years old. It was, I left Barclays, moved into a condominium with my family and in the attic of this condo, opened up my laptop and, and started to create Kilm. And um, we launched our first location in November of 2018, again focused on the shop where you work. We we are focused as a brand on retail spaces, and so we launched in a, a kind of a dilapidated mall in Salt Lake City. It was the only place that would take my credit, which was zero. And uh, and we took this old sports bar and grill and converted it. And it's really actually I started in retail too. Oh, did you? That's so cool. yeah, 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 yeah. In an old strip center in Austin, Texas. Because I figured out office space wasn't where it was at, and it was great to have the proximity to all of this retail and a gym and a CVS and all this stuff. And it had parking and it had outdoor space and yes. and one of the only places that would do a deal with me. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, it's not it's not where it's not the only place that we're at. We are in some office buildings as well, but seventy percent of our locations are in what I, what are in retail spaces. So, um, yeah. So we launched there. Uh, we were we got full just before the pandemic hit. Uh, we had two locations at that point: Salt Lake City, Utah, and Lehigh, Utah, which is actually the tech center of Utah. And um, but then the pandemic hit, and uh, you know we we saw our, our revenue starting to drop ten percent a week. We stabilized at about fifty percent, and I'm very proud to say that our team, which was small at the time, really came together, and we you know we didn't lay anybody off. We never, we never missed a lease payment. We never missed a committed payment. And we just worked as hard as we possibly could. And we were very proactive. We contacted every member uh, within days of the pandemic really kicking off and said, what can we do for you? How can we help you? You know, do you need, do you need a discount? Whereas I think a lot of people were kind of mixed on whether or not they were going to proactively offer discounts, but I think it saved our, our, um, revenue ultimately to the point that we maintained about 50% revenue. So we got through the pandemic 
we were under construction in Boulder, Colorado, um, and in Park City, Utah. And so, and in Lehigh, Utah, we launched three locations during the pandemic. It was very hard. Um, <laughs> Boulder had a mandate where only 10% of workers could even go to the office. And of course, you had to be masked even when you were alone inside an office. And Boulder is a place that does a very good job at self-policing. So you really you kind of had to very much abide by the rules. And it was a tough time. We opened in September of 2021, I want to say. Yeah. No, 2020. September wow. 20. I get that right? I think that's right. 2021 or 2020. Anyway, point is, it was tough, but we got through it. And the good news is now we're growing. So now we have locations, three locations in Southern California, um, in, in the San Diego County area, and then a location in Meridian, Idaho, which has done very well. It's kind of really cool to go to like a rural place and see it do well. Mm-hmm. And then we're, of course, in Boulder, Colorado, and we have a location under construction in Colorado, Arizona, Oregon, California, and two more in Utah. Wow. Wow. So what is funding all of this? You know, we we fund through a network of, of private investors okay. and, and awesome. landlord partners. So Awesome. And now back to how do you, how are you going to scale this community? Because you have a great community. Thank you. Um, you know, community doesn't scale. It's built locally and it stays locally. And mm-hmm. as long as you understand that, we're not, I mean, we do have a community across our kiln locations, but mm-hmm. we're very much focused on creating an environment and an experience within each individual location that almost feels like this is the only one that exists. It could almost feel like, oh my gosh, this is like a little boutique co-working space. It's super local. It's you yeah. know, very tied into the community. And we would be happy if people thought it was the only one that was there. That's brilliant. I really like that. And, you know, it's one of the things I'm, I say a lot is, you know, the thing about community is you can't buy it. You have to build it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And um, and so are you going to go national and global? Because I heard you have trademarks outside the U.S. Yeah, I mean, part of that is when you trademark outside of the U.S., you protect your your trademark. You are, you're also protecting your online presence because there are no borders online. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the strategy. I, I don't there is no there are no immediate plans to go anywhere outside of the Western part of the United States. So, oh, OK, well, and you know what? That's interesting because, you know, I'm always looking at the landscape and I look at it nationally, globally, locally, et cetera. And, you know, I always like a regional play. You know, one of the things I've seen go wrong for a lot of the early operators is they expanded outside of their area too fast. And it's that like, oh, Chicago's a two-hour flight away. It's like, mm, yeah, but then you've got to like get to the airport. You've got to handle transportation. It ends up taking six hours out of your day, not two. And so I'm a I'm a big fan of pick a part of the world that doesn't have a strong regional player and go for that. Which it sounds like, and honestly, westerns it's it's a little all over the place. Yeah, it's definitely unique. And in order to understand these markets, I think you're better equipped to do it if you're from these markets and you spend a lot of time in these markets because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the traditional sort of equation was go to highly dense urban markets. And I think that's changing now, clearly, but mm-hmm. the, the top 
co-working brands or the largest co-working brands in the US are predominantly urban and they're, you know, most of them are based out of the UK, uh, out of, sorry, out of uh, New York City. Um, obviously, we work in Industrious and Convene and uh-huh. Bob Collective and others that, that are based out of there. But that's because that's 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 where it all started. That's where I would say not started, but it was sort of reborn because Flex Office has been around for decades, many decades. Mm-hmm. But maybe you could even say all the way back, you know, to the time of pubs. Yeah. When the first, when the first tavern was created somewhere, that was a co-working space. But yeah. So another unique thing you guys have done that I've seen a few brands start to bring on is it looks like you you guys have some retreat space now. Yeah. So Liz, we Kiln is a lifestyle brand. So we're our our goal is to elevate the quality of life while people are uh, at work or doing their creative best work, right? And we do that. Okay. Through- so wait, wait. I have to ask real quick. Sorry, because we were just at Juicy. I have to ask. Do you identify as real estate or hospitality or something else? We identify as a lifestyle brand, but we're clearly a blend okay. between real estate and hospitality. Okay. If you ask us who what our brand is, I hope that we'll respond that we're a lifestyle brand. Okay. Great. Um and and so we we elevate the quality of life through an ecosystem of products, people, spaces and places. And you know, our aim is really to get that balance right. Um so what, we did a collaboration with Sundance, really just a Sundance in of itself is just one of the most thoughtful thoughtfully crafted and cared for brands and places in the world. And it happens to be 17 minutes from where I live. And it happens to be a place where some of my happiest childhood memories were made. It also happens to be a place where, you know, there are several weddings in my family that occurred there, etc. So it's a special place to many people because of the way it's been cared for and the spirit that exists there. So we built this collaboration with Sundance to put a meeting room in the mountains. And I really very much believe that nature and work are too far apart, generally. And that it wasn't always that way. When we were an agrarian society, we spent a lot of time working in nature. But I would say that um, a lot of times we're dealing with creative problem solving, and we need those moments when our, our mind and our brain can relax and be able to think our best thoughts. And those are oftentimes unlocked through nature. So, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like going to the beach. I can just sit there and stare at the waves. And just, I feel like my mind expands when I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. Mother nature always gives a good hug. So. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So interesting. Oh my gosh. Time is slipping away from me. Okay. Um, So another question I have for you. So we just came back from Juicy, which thank you so much for attending. And I understand that you had a great experience. I'd love to hear what your big takeaways were. Great question. First of all. It, it's such a small industry and it's so, so rewarding to be with a group of people who deeply understand it and who appreciate the complexity that's in it and who celebrate, you know, each other's wins and can soothe one another in their, in the tougher moments. And so I, I think it's a very good thing. And I'm really grateful that you created Juicy Liz. And I know that you created it. You. You were an operator. So you understood the need from the lens of an mm-hmm. actual operator. Yeah, I think the takeaways are, you know, there's a flight to quality, clearly. I think that the uh, the bigger players are grappling with managing, you know, larger portfolios, sometimes in downtown urban cores. The downtowns are really going to struggle. 
there's going to be a slog to get through this next economic cycle. Clearly, you know, there was more, there's always been talk of management agreements. I did speak with more people this time that were actually executing them. You know, there are pluses and minuses to a management agreement, the kind of access you get to certain kinds of spaces versus not getting access to certain kinds of spaces. So I think that that, that's still a, you know, very interesting topic that kind of comes into play. Loved hearing from Jamie Hodari. Loved hearing from yeah, it was great. Ryan Simonetti. Melinda from WeWork was, you know, had some good thoughts. And, you know, she's obviously got, she's obviously taken on a real challenge and you have to admire people who are willing to jump into the fray like that. So, yeah, yeah it was good yeah. overall. I, I really also enjoyed Wayne from um, IWG. What a, what a, what an incredible leader. And yeah, you know, you have to, they, they're very clear about what they want to achieve and they're very aggressive and and they're achieving it. So, you know, um, yeah, and to- I think the thing about Wayne is, you know, we get some pushback about putting IWG on the stage. But the thing is, is Wayne, you know, when I discovered Wayne about, um, gosh, probably a year and a half ago, he said, he was like, wait a minute, this is the industry event and we're not there. And I'm like, no. Good. And he's like, I will 100% be at the next one. Good. And and so, you know me, I called him up yeah. and I'm like, you said. <laughs> and so he immediately was like, you are right. Changed yeah. the schedule and came and yeah. and he participated. I really like when, you know, they show up even when they're done yeah. on stage and become part of the community. Because, yeah, the best part about Juicy is, you know, what I want to do is I want to take that boutique community that we all create within our space. And I want to do that in an industry level. That's my goal. And I think we achieved that, you know, and, you know, we want to take the littlest player and the biggest player and put them in the same room. They can learn from each other. You know, we got tremendous feedback on um, the coven too, because they really got people thinking about design in a different way. So anyway, blah, blah. It was good. Okay. What should I have asked you about you or your business that I didn't? You know, I think what's unconventional about Kiln is the kind of people that we hire and the team that we've built. So I, I, due to time, I don't know if I can go into that, but I'll just say our COO, he got an undergrad and a graduate degree in aeronautical engineering from USC, mm. um, went on to get a, an MBA from MIT, worked for Bain, very bright, very capable, sophisticated, bright thinker. Our chief strategy officer, Andrea, eight years with BCG, very astute in retail, very student retail membership models, built her own tech company, sits on the board of a public company, extremely bright. Um, Lee Radford, who's who's my co-founder, genuinely one of the very best in the world at what he does, truly, truly unique in uh, in his talent set. Our CFO, again, you know, MBA from NYU, top tier finance in New York City. So we have a really strong, our head of growth, you know, he had offers at Google. He had... Um, he had worked for a boutique investment bank. He's uh, one of the younger members of our team, but really phenomenal at orchestrating deals. And um, so I think we are t- trying to take a, a a group of people whose, diff- whose different experiences are quite unique and sort of bring them together around an industry that may have traditionally been hospitality or real estate driven. Um, and of course, we have amazing hospitality people with us as well, from Grosvenor's house, from from boutique hotels across the U.S., from Amangiri, from Marriott's 
you know, programs and Starwoods programs, et cetera. So we, we, I think we're building a team that um, is, is really able to punch above its weight and we're going deep rather than wide. So we're not trying to hire a ton of people. We're trying to hire really highly qualified people that can oftentimes take on what maybe we would have had to hire three or four people to do if we had taken a different strategy around our hiring. So I think the so team, smart. yeah, the team itself is what I love. I mean, we build a beautiful product and obviously I'm very satisfied with what we do and where we're going with what we're going to do for our members. But for me personally, it's the people that I get to work with every day that, that makes what I do so enjoyable. That's awesome. They, because basically your answer is, I've got an amazing team and I love the diversity and I love, we try to, at GC a lot of times, we didn't really do it this year, but a lot of times we really try to be people in that have nothing to do with the co-working industry because we can learn from everybody. Yeah. And it's funny because the next question is what is your superpower? And I feel like it's building a diverse team that's really intelligent. Um, but I want to hear from you. I think that if you really go to the core of why we have built Kiln the way we have, it sort of boils down to this very simple assumption about humanity, which is I believe that every human is actually capable of something truly extraordinary, that every person has a set of gifts and talents that are very unique just to them. Most people, a lot of people don't discover that about themselves. And it could be circumstance, could be poverty, a lack of education, a lack of things that we are so blessed in, in our you know life here in the U.S. to have. But some of it could just be a fear of, of failure or other things. When somebody discovers what it is that makes them different and unique, and then they're able to align what they're doing with that, then they truly experience a sense of dharma and a sense of uh, purpose and satisfaction in their work. And that's our strategy for not only for our members, but also for our own team. How do we find people whose true and authentic talents and gifts align closely with what they're doing? And how do we allow them to express that on a on a grander basis, on a daily basis. So, you know, when somebody walks into a kiln location, I hope that after they're being there for a while, they discover something important about themselves and about the way that they can affect people around them. And that does happen. And when it does happen, it's it's the most rewarding part of what we do. Ariane, this conversation has completely lit me up. I loved hearing your journey. Um, I love the story you're telling. And I love that it's got a human element and that and that you're going to things like nature and to the core of humanity. And it's it's no surprise to me that you're a raging success and that you will continue to be as long as you keep at that core that you so clearly know. And bravo. I think people are going to super love this podcast. And I can't wait to see where you guys go next. Cheers. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for all that you do as well. Thank you. Thanks. Take care, y'all. And we'll see you on the next Juicy Podcast.